Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Minibytes. Today, we are joined by Tom. Tom is a UK ambassador to a European youth form and is very active in the UK political scene. Tom, to date, has met with Ed Miliband, the former Labour leader, Rory Stewart, who has held many ministerial roles over the years, as well as Gavin Williamson, the current Secretary for Education. Tom has also spoken at the dispatch box in the House of Commons, along with speaking at the Cambridge Union. He has received an offer to study at Cambridge University for Human, Social and Political Sciences starting in September. Tom, how are you? <laughs> oh, cheers, Bill. Yeah, good, thank you. It's good to be on. Thank you for having me. So, Tom, um, do you think nations are fit to deal with this century's big issues? I think it's a really difficult question, in part because um, the challenges we're going to face are, are not particularly well-defined, I don't think. Um, so, for example, I'm not really sure what it means to beat climate change or to overcome um, the challenge of climate change and things like geopolitics and uh, nuclear warfare, terrorism, inevitable refugee crises, which are likely to um, come out from uh, the climate crisis and so on. They're all really hard to foresee at the moment, partly because of how unprecedented they are likely to be. But I think when it comes to the state and the role that governments can play, I think there's two kind of parts to addressing these challenges. I think the first is coming up with the sort of ideas which are um, sort of good enough from like a sort of scientific and practical point. And then there's the implementation side of things. And I don't think governments are particularly well set up for um, addressing these challenges in terms of coming up with the ideas. I think if they were an idea making body, then they'd be much more cognitively diverse. They'd be much more demographically diverse. Um, there wouldn't be such an opposition um, kind of set up. There might not even be a party system. Um, so I don't think they're great at coming up with the ideas, but there are other forums which do come up with good ideas like think tanks and so on. Um, so I think governments will need to take more of an implementation role in this, which will involve sort of identifying the best solutions and then implementing them. But that in itself, I think, is quite difficult. I don't think governments are particularly good at doing that. And I think that's in part because of election cycle politics and the way in which um, decisions are made with so that rewards are sort of reached before the end of election cycles. I know it's kind of a, 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 um, a bit cynical, but I think that is realistic to an extent. I think partisanship is an issue, vested interests, and just our human nature, to be honest. I think we're resistant to change um, and it's not a natural thing to, to do. And we're, we're going to need to take radical changes and that's not something we're used to doing. Um, so I think those are all challenges which will make overcoming the challenges of the 21st century difficult. I think it's possible. Um, I think like we see with the coronavirus at the moment, when there is a major challenge, um, like war or pandemics, as we're seeing at the moment, they do tend to override the, the idea of election cycle politics or partisanship or vested interests and so on. And we do see people really step up. So I think if a story is told which... Um, really persuades people of the importance and of the danger of the emerging sort of climate crisis, then I think that will override the the issues at the moment which are preventing serious action on climate change. Um, but then the longer we leave it and the more we wait for a story to be told which is relatable and um, which really highlights how serious the issue is, then the issue is going to be becoming more and more serious and we're going to just have less and less time to, to deal with it.
Great. That's a very interesting point you just brought up. If you just look at opinion polls for popular leaders, uh, as soon as we approach a big issue, such as the COVID-19 pandemic we're in right now, or even just after the 9-11 terrorist attack in America, uh, the, the polls do seem to get more popular. For example, right now, Trump's polls at are a, quite a high for his um, presidency. Tom, do you think that think tanks and other third parties should have a big say in government decisions? Or do you think that should be left more to the governments themselves? So, yeah, I think it is important for experts to have some say, I think, particularly when we are facing challenges which are potentially less political than challenges have been previously, and they are more based on science. And so I think challenges which we maybe haven't mentioned as much are things like technology and automation and artificial intelligence. These things are as science-based and as tech-based as they are political. And so I think with these challenges in particular, and obviously climate change, it is more important than ever to have experts in influential positions where they can advise, whether that is as professional advisors within the government or whether that's in the civil service um, or in other forms. I think it's important to do that. Having said that, I think if there are advisors who are coming in who are known for having um, particularly questionable political views, then I think immediately people will start to say, why are these undemocratically not even elected people having so much influence in our democratic system? And I think the example at the moment would be Dominic Cummings. Obviously, I think to, to some people, he's considered an absolute expert in terms of marketing, communications, campaigning, and so on. Um, but to other people, he is the absolute opposite of anyone they would like to have any sort of influence in government. And so I think there is a limit to how much influence people like this should have. Um, and the power should remain with democratically elected politicians. But I think as challenges become increasingly more um, scientific and where responses are increasingly going to need to be more evidence-based than they perhaps have been before. Um, I think pr previously ideology has played a big role in responses to challenges, but I think that is going to have to be pushed aside slightly as we move into more um, scientifically driven problems which require scientific responses. Great. And just back on the topic of uh, election cycles, do you think Western democracies, do you think they're compatible for solving such large global issues? Or do you think leaders focus too much on their popularity and thus not take risks in order to gain another election cycle? I think it is a good point. And I don't think we can assume that because we've had democracy for so long that that is the best system for going forward, particularly when we are facing unprecedented challenges. Um, I think AC Grayling was once asked, um, are, can politicians come up with the solutions and so on? And he said, not only can they, but only they can. Um, because ultimately, we need people to lead and coordinate the effort to address these challenges. Without them, it's just a kind of anarchical system. And I think this is one of the reasons behind the people behind the campaign for a more sort of global governance kind of system to address these challenges because without some sort of overall international leadership which is um is strong and might come with legal legally enforceable um, sort of requirements then without that it's just an, an anarchical system which is not very good at enforcing the sort of um, programs and policies that we need to address these challenges. And so I do think from, from the nation state kind of level, it is 
I think politicians are left with sort of no no choice other than to um, put ideolo- ideology aside and to really focus on how we can come together and overcome these issues. And I think they'll be forced to by the electorate, because I think the electorate are slowly turning towards the idea that we are going to have to start to take more radical changes. And I think at the moment, there still is difficulty with election cycle politics. But as the results of climate change become more apparent and as they start to affect people's lives on a more day-to-day basis then they are going to start to affect the election cycle and leaders are going to be forced to take actions which affect now as well as in the long term. Right. Gordon Brown recently, the ex-Prime Minister of the UK, have, has called for a global government to tackle the coronavirus pandemic worldwide. Um, he wishes for a temporary global government to be set up to coordinate closely uh, different countries' responses to the coronavirus crisis. What do you think about that? I do think the the idea has merits. I, I'm not someone who completely objects to the idea of a global governance. I think, in theory, it is a useful idea. I think the idea of having um, sort of global, overarching, clear leadership, which has more authority, and that authority comes from some sort of democratically elected um, council or possibly a parliament but I think that would have political challenges in carrying that sort of thing through Um, I I think there are merits to it I think for me the the key issue is just the idea of um, of nationalism at the moment which seems to be on the rise although I think that is slightly controversial some say it is some say it isn't but I think its very existence poses a major challenge to establishing some sort of international overarching um, system of governance and so I think whilst in theory it does have merits, I think it could be, at least within the next 20 or 30 years, I think it would be politically impossible to implement. Having said that, I think Gordon Brown's comments come specifically in the context, as you mentioned, of the coronavirus. And I think a more temporary um, system of international governance could be something which is on the cards. Um, and I think when it comes to something like the coronavirus I think I I have been surprised in a way by the extent to which the public has given politicians the capital to take such radical measures. And I think when there is the capital there, the political capital for politicians to to make these radical um, decisions and implement these radical policies, then maybe there is the capital to then have some sort of international government. But I don't think a long term version of this could happen within the next 20 or 30 years because of the established system of Westphalian sovereignty and the way in which people are so protective of their interests. And I think as we get further into the challenges of the 21st century, I think the stakes are going to be increasingly higher. The the wins are going to be bigger and the losses are going to be bigger. And like some countries could be completely wiped out by climate change as sea levels rise, like Bangladesh springs to mind. Um, But other countries, if they have a, a really flourishing renewable energy system, Um, or or renewable energy industry, then they could benefit massively from it. And I think as the stakes become higher, countries will become or could become more nationalistic and more protective of their own interests, which only serves as an extra barrier to establishing some sort of overarching system of global governance. So I think in theory, the idea has merits, but I think in practice, it's probably unimplementable, at least at this stage. 
Do you think the Western civil system of democracy ultimately prioritizes short-term issues over the resolution of large issues over a long period of time? In the 21st century, we are due to see a large amount of these issues, with the largest obviously being climate change. However, short-term issues always seem to be prioritized in order to get into that election cycle over and over again. Like political parties in the West, do you think ultimately that hinders the development of technology or other committees to tackle such large issues in the 21st century? I think it probably does. Um, I think, I know it can sound like a cynical argument, but I do think the nature of our political system, whereby um, there's elections every five years or even less than that, and a new government is elected each time, um, or the same government is re-elected, I think that system of um, continuous, consistent elections whilst being democratically necessary and fundamental to our way of life i do think it poses challenges to addressing the long-term challenges which we face in the 21st century i do think it's a difficult thing to address in part because of how fundamentally important it is to a liberal democratic system having said that i think like i mentioned earlier i think is the is the effects of things like climate change become more apparent and more immediate I think the public will start to demand more action to address the current problems which we're seeing. So, for example, forest fires in in Australia or as sea levels start to really um, sort of come inland in in Bangladesh, then electorates are going to start to force their governments to start really thinking seriously about the issue that we face. And I think if politicians do then start to, to act upon those um, the feelings of the electorate, then we will indirectly start to think more long term about what we need to do um, to prevent or, or to adapt and to mitigate from the effects of climate change. Right, okay. Uh, right now we're in the midst of a global pandemic, the first one in a very long time, and many nations have been criticised for being too slow to act. Do you think this was due to leaders having a lack of political capital from the population to act quickly? And do you think it's for in order for those issues to become current issues and to be in the public's mind, do you think that takes too long and almost hinders response to these large issues at hand? Yes, I think it does to an extent. Um, I think the overarching issue with the, the current pandemic is that, as you mentioned, it is unprecedented in modern times. The actions that governments are taking are bigger than some governments have taken in their entire history. I think the US government today have, have put forward a package which is um, has been the most expensive package ever to get through Congress. And so the unprecedented nature of this challenge means that it is difficult to act early just because we, we didn't know how bad it was going to get. Having said that, in January, when we could see what was happening in China, um, I think a lot of experts then were starting to to really think, okay, this could get this could get serious, this could get bad. And then as it started to come um, further west and to Italy, and we started to see what happened in Italy, again, I think particularly in other parts of Europe, despite Italy being right on our doorstep, we were slow to react and we were slow to um, to respond to what we were seeing. And I think, as you mentioned, that is in part because of a lack of political capital from the electorate to take such um, to take such radical approaches. Um, and I, I think a unique situation in our country was the way we were a little bit we, we were outliers in some sense in how delayed we were to um, to close schools, for example. 
And I know we had some unique reasoning for that in that we have a large amount of faith, rightly so, in our health service relative to, to other countries. And so we could take a slightly different approach. Um, but I don't think we can underestimate the role that these radical changes or, or that the, the electorate's view has on the extent to which politicians can implement these radical changes. Um, but I do think we we quickly came to the position where we started to see um, the numbers of deaths really rising and then the political capital came, the the, the population started to um, sort of fall in line more so with, with what government was saying and we had the daily briefings and things were stepping up and I think as a result of that the political capital grew and um, and we now have been able to take the the sort of changes which I think we'll need to take if we are to to really sort of address this issue. Right. Do you think that political capital came too late in general? I think it's hard to tell at the moment. Um, my sort of immediate inclination at the moment would be to say possibly, um, in part because just just from a comparative perspective, a lot of other European countries seem to be taking more radical approaches sooner than us. And those countries are still seeing really high numbers of casualties and things are not necessarily improving at the rate we would have hoped to have seen them improve. Even once these extreme measures had been taken, things like complete lockdown and so on. Um, but then I do think it is too early to say, and I think in the next two or three weeks and then in the next few months, we all start to be able to have a little bit more of an objective, um, bigger picture perspective on the initial response. Um, so, yeah, I think it's difficult to say at this stage. OK, so COVID-19 has uh, caused a recession in the UK. That is pretty much an accepted fact. And some in the Bank of England fear that it may be even worse than the 2008 financial crash for the UK. There are also fears for global recession due to COVID-19. How do you think that COVID-19 will change global cooperation in the aftermath once uh, nations deal with it and overcome it? I think that is a, a really interesting question. I think the economic impacts are likely to be catastrophic and I think they probably will be comparable to the effects that we saw as a result of 2008. I think it'll be possibly decades before we are able to fully recover um, from the measures which have had to have been taken as a result of this crisis. I think with regards to um, sort of international relations and collaboration internationally um, from this, this crisis, I think at the moment where You've got China and the USA who are sort of um, vying for, for global dominance. Uh, when you have the virus originating in China and then you have got a president like Trump who's calling it the Wuhan virus, the Chinese virus. I think it seems to me that there is a reluctance from both sides to um, to sort of collaborate to a significant degree. But having said that, the two countries and the rest of the world are so dependent on both of those countries and supply chains are going to be so disrupted by the action which has had to have been taken in terms of closing borders and so on, that I think we're going to have to, to for, for economies to recover quickly after this crisis, supply chains are going to have to be um, sort of lifted back up as quickly as possible. And that is going to require international collaboration, um, increasing interdependence, diplomacy and so on um, to make sure that we are able to return to relative normality. Um, but then I, I, I do think there will be political difficulty, at least while the current 
global leadership is in the state that it's in, I think there will be difficulty in terms of diplomacy and in terms of um, sort of getting back to a dialogue whereby these sort of challenges can be can be better dealt with um, so that we can sort of improve supply chains and improve international relations so that we are better able to communicate with each other about um, sort of the progress of vaccines and uh, to do with supply chains and how we're going to continue making sure that the global community has the supply of goods that it needs. Um, I think all of these things we'll need to talk about, but it will take a few years, I think, before um, the international community is, sort of, is in a position to be able to do that. Great. Do you think responses and cooperation to other issues of similar scales in the coming decades will change after uh, this radical issue we have at hand at the moment? I think they could do. I think we, we are seeing at the moment the importance of, of collaboration um, when it comes to crises which are unexpected and unprecedented. And I think that will be a lesson to to some countries who have maybe drawn a more isolationist perspective on the world. Um, but at the same time, I do think there are other challenges which, um, like election cycle politics and partisanship and different worldviews, whether that be um, religion in the Middle East or just different types of cultures and ways of life. I do think these things will will continue to exist, obviously, and will continue to pose diplomatic challenges. And I think the only way of really overcoming that is by having crises like we have at the moment, which transcend these differences. And I think climate change will inevitably become a challenge like that. Um, But we're going to need to take action much much more uh, much sooner than the crisis sort of comes if that makes sense so we need to we're going to need to take action well before we see the true consequences of climate change and i think that is a challenge because i think like you mentioned earlier on there are arguments to say we didn't act um towards coronavirus sooner and that's because we hadn't seen the true effects of it and so with the same reasoning why do we act on climate change where we in the uk at the moment seem to be relatively shielded from the effects of climate change and so i think to be able to utilize international cooperation and draw from the lessons we've learned from the coronavirus we're going to need people to be able to really communicate in an effective way the the sort of potential of climate change the danger that it is they need to be able to communicate the science effectively and in a way which is not controversial um, which may seem impossible but i do think that, that this is going to need to be a major target if we are to seriously address um, the challenge of climate change. Okay, do you think it's right for nations to act in the interest of the global community if their own country will suffer as a result? I think that is a difficult question to answer, in part because I think the from a, from a sort of rational and logical perspective, the threat to the international community is so big that it seems that we should do whatever is necessary to um, to overcome that. Having said that, we do need to keep people on side, and you know, I I think I have massive support for for the guys who are protesting against um, the lack of action on climate change and so on. But I think when you're sort of demanding the system be changed and you're not trying to bring along people who disagree with you, I think we then have problems because ultimately we do need to work with everyone and we do need to bring everyone together. There's no point. Um, trying to transfer completely to a a society which is carbon neutral if we're not going to then support those who are working in the fossil fuel industry at the moment. We need to find a way of bringing these people with us 
and uh, and making sure that people are not left behind. And so I think um, it, it is important to not um, to not to 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 communicate as as best we can the importance of, of doing this, uh, but whilst making sure that we are considering all those who are likely to to, to lose out and. You know, we can see um, the sort of populist rise in different countries and the rise of nationalism in different countries. And that has emerged partly because of globalization and, and really big changes to people's daily lives. And climate change will likely to have those will be likely to have those sort of effects, particularly when we take the actions that we need to take to address it. And a consequence of that could be a reemergence of this sort of populism and nationalism. And I think that is one reason why it's really important to make sure we do bring our nations along with us and we do make sure that the interests of our nation are kept at heart when we are sort of internationally, uh, when we are negotiating international agreements. So I think it's a balance and we need to do both. And I think technology will have one role to play as renewable technology becomes cheaper. It will be easier to move towards a more um, sort of climate friendly environment. Um, without having as much negative effects on on the rest of the nation. Um, but I do think we need to put more effort into making sure those who work in fossil fuel industries are able to cope with the with the policies which we are needed to overcome climate change. Now, we focused a lot on issues of democracy in this episode, but how do you think we can fix democracy? Do you think more direct forms of democracy, such as the single transferable vote, almost make the issue worse? than, say, less direct forms, such as the UK's first passive post system during their election cycles? I think it's quite a contextual question. So I think in different places, different things work. Um, I don't think it's right for for the West to go and um, sort of throw democracy wherever we can. I think there are certain cultures and, um, and ways of life which may work better with different forms of, um, of government that are democratic in some ways and less so in other ways. And it might not be necessarily that they have value in themselves, but it could be that changing them actually leaves a vacuum or makes things worse in other ways. Um, So I do think that we can't be too uh, heavy on the democracy side of things or reforming democracy or forms of government from our own perspective, because different things work in different cultures better than they do elsewhere. Um, Having said that, I think in the UK, a it does only seem fair for a proportional voting system um, to be used. I think it, it politically it's going to be very, very difficult to implement. Um, but I do think it's the only, uh, I think when you look at how disproportionate the vote, the ratio of, um, of votes and then seats are in the House of Commons, it, it seems unbelievable. And so I do think we do need some sort of proportional voting system. The extent to which that that then helps us to address climate change, I think, is questionable. Um, I think it is, in in some ways, it helps to um, force collaboration and conversation and negotiation and so on, but that then can lead to things being stalled. And I, I know some people have, have proposed the idea of having some sort of temporary authoritarian democracies um, to help us overcome climate change, whereby you have a leader who has and concentrated power and they're able to exercise that power quickly without having to go through all the traditional checks and balances which result in a highly slow a highly bureaucratic and slow system um and so there are problems with proportional systems and the way in which it it kind of forces um negotiation and compromise 
Um, but I do think it's the only fair way of doing things. And as I said earlier on, we do need to make sure we are bringing all of society together when we are pushing for more progressive policies, because ultimately for, for democracy to work, we ca- it cannot just be tyranny of the majority or the minority. We need to, to make sure everyone is catered for. Having said that, some will lose out. That is an inevitability, but we do need to minimise that. Um, and I think a starting point is proportional representation, but it does seem to be a tiny, tiny way of improving things, a tiny, tiny amount when a lot more needs to be done. Um, and I think it is going to be is going to be difficult. And I think part of it may come from just motivated leaders who are who are committed to the cause and are able to communicate um, effectively the challenge that we face and how we can overcome it. And if they then gain support and the political capital to take the actions that we need to take, then maybe we will be able to to really push forward on this. Again, I think international organisations have got a leadership role that they can take. But as we see um, nationalism sort of surge, that is only be- going to become more difficult as people's lives are changed more and more so by um, by the sort of the the, the revolutions of the of the twenty first century. That's great. Now, just really quickly, we don't have much time left. However, do you think there's going to be any changes anytime soon in the global landscape, um, considering we're in the midst of all of these global issues at hand? I am not particularly optimistic of any imminent changes, to be honest. I think uh, particularly constitutional changes like voting systems and so on, I can't particularly see these changes happening soon um, because of the way in which the existing system benefits those who are in power. Um, having said that, I think the, the position of the electorate is changing quite quickly. And um, for climate change in particular, the cost of renewable energy is, is reducing faster than we ever predicted. And I think as things like that start to enable um, policies to be implemented, which help us to address the challenges we face, then maybe that will release some capital to enable um, more long-term changes to be made. But in the next few years, I cannot see anything particularly long-term or particularly beneficial um, being changed. Great, Tom. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time here. No worries. Thank you for having me on, Bill. It was good good to talk through some of these issues. That's great. Okay, thank you. That's all the time we have, unfortunately, today. Uh, And thank you for listening to the first episode of Mini Bites.